You're listening to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Kathy Kuhn, and I'm the Counseling Director here at Rolling Hills. We're currently in the heart of Masterclass, our summer sermon series, and today we'll be reading through Mark chapter 11. Throughout this series, we've been looking at the life and ministry of Jesus and considering how we can make practical changes in our own lives to be more like Him. Jesus had the authority of the kingdom of God in His words and actions. But what is the kingdom of God, and what does it mean for you and for me today? Let's listen in. Have you ever pretended to be something you're not? Have you ever pretended to be someone that you're not? You know full well that I'm getting ready to act like I'm somebody that I'm really not, and some of us have experienced the repercussions of that. In fact, some of us guys know exactly what I'm talking about. You are currently in physical therapy with a foot injury or a rotator cuff surgery because you pretended to be an 18-year-old and you're not an 18-year-old anymore. You were at your local rec center and something came over you. I have had that moment before when you realize I have got to prove to everybody that is half my age that I have still got it, that I still have said skills at whatever it is that that might be. Or if it's not that moment, maybe you've had this moment where you were guilty of trying to be a pretender. You're at Outback on Friday night and there is a blooming onion in your future. And you go up to the hostess station and they tell you it's a 45 minute wait, but it is a blooming onion after all. So you decide to wait. And sure enough, a few minutes later, the hostess comes out and she says, George, party of two. George, party of two. Keep in mind, you're not George, okay? In a moment of honesty, we have, a lot of us have been there. George is nowhere to be found. And we've thought to ourselves, I could be George tonight. (laughs) I could go in and just take that table and nobody would ever know the difference. But it's not just those moments when we pretend. There's times when people pretend on us. Hypothetically speaking, maybe it's your first year of marriage and your beautiful wife brings home fake Oreos. Hypothetically speaking, in order to save money. And you realize distinctly, we talked about this in premarital counseling, we're not a fake Oreo kind of house. They're counterfeit. We need the real deal. Or worse off, some of you parents know about this one, where your precious child has a lovey, you know the loveys, and it's usually some ratty giraffe that's slobbered all over, and you lose it, and you decide you're gonna fool your child. You go on Amazon, you buy a new one, and you drop it in their crib, and that look they give you, you imposter. That's not Ralph. You're trying to pull one over on me. We have all been there. I'm sure we can relate to those moments where we act like somebody we shouldn't, or we pretend to be someone that we are not. But the reality is, Scripture's also not silent on this. It's not just these everyday moments of life when we kind of come pretending, but yet Jesus reminds us that he doesn't want us to be a pretender. He doesn't want us to be an imposter. In fact, we're in Mark chapter 11 today, and what you're going to see in Mark chapter 11 is Jesus says, I want you to be the real deal. I want you to stop just checking boxes, but rather I want you to be all in for 
me. And so just know that I'm so grateful that each and every one of you are here with us this morning. A special welcome to all of you online today, wherever you may be in the world. Just know that we are grateful that you're here, and we pray that God speaks to your heart so boldly today and that he does something in our midst, wherever you are in the world, and in this room today that can only be described by him. So with that, let's pray together and ask God to move today. Father, thank you for this time to be together. I just pray that you would strengthen us, God, that you would embolden us today, make us more and more like you. And I pray that in all things today, God, you would be honored and glorified and that we would walk away today with a deeper sense of what it is that you desire to do in our lives. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. Now, for those of you that I've not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Jason, and I get the privilege of serving as the campus pastor at our Nolansville campus. And so God's doing some incredible things up in Nolansville. Many of you have been asking about what's happening at our Nolansville campus. So I just wanted to share with you just a real quick update. We are building a new building, a new campus building in Nolansville, and we are nearing completion of that at the end of this year. Uh, And this past Sunday, we actually invited our congregation to uh, go into the building and to write verses of Scripture and prayers on some of the pieces of drywall that are going to be installed in the building. And and guys, it's just incredible. And I'm just so thankful for what God is doing and for the fact that we get to all be a part of that together. And you may be saying, well, I'm not a part of the Nolensville campus, but you're a part of the Rolling Hills Church family. And this is all of our story. This is a collective story that we get to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. And I want to say thank you for that. Thank you for your investment. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for just believing and knowing that God does something when we trust Him and when we ask Him to move boldly. And so I'm just excited uh, to bring greetings to you from Nolansville today. And again, I'm honored to be here with you guys today. Now, for those of you with us for the very first time today, you found us in this series called Masterclass in the book of Mark. And we're particularly going to be studying Mark chapter 11 today. And so in the book of Mark, which is the second of the Gospels, it's the shortest of the Gospels, the early dated, you're going to see a lot of themes. And some of those themes that today is no exception, you see Jesus saying that he's the authority, that he's the authority on all things. He's the one that brings healing. Everything is under his sovereign control. You also see numerous times in the book of Mark that Jesus is very boldly proclaiming that he is the Messiah because he is and that he's going to die and that three days later he will raise from the dead. And in fact, that's what happened at the end of Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, Jesus told his disciples for the third time that I'm going to die and be resurrected from the dead. And then that picks up in Mark chapter 11, where we are today, which is Jesus heading into Jerusalem for his final days here on earth. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 11. You can see these words up here on the screen. You can follow along on the app as well. But let's start in Mark chapter 11, verse 1. So as they approached Jerusalem, And came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. So they went and found a colt outside the street, tied at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing, untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. So when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. 
Now, for some of you, this is a familiar picture. It's a familiar verse of Scripture that we would refer to as Palm Sunday. We celebrate this triumphant entry of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And what he does is he asks his disciples to go ahead of him into the village and to find a colt, a donkey, and to bring that back, and that he's going to ride that colt into Jerusalem. Now, interestingly enough, even this minute detail is not accidental. It's prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, the prophet Zechariah, some 500 years before this ever happens, tells us that this is precisely what's going to happen. Look at Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Why is it important that this was prophesied 500 years before time? It's important because it shows us Jesus was no ordinary man. Jesus was fully God, fully man. God was at work. There is something about the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ that is of the utmost importance for us to understand. And when Jesus enters the town, we're told that the people of the town began to find palm branches and they began to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And that word Hosanna is a word that most of the time, the only time we ever hear it is on Palm Sunday or when we're singing a song called Hosanna. But it's such an interesting word. In fact, you have to kind of go back to the original Hebrew to see what that word means. And so Hosanna is derived from two Hebrew words, yasha, which means deliver, and na, which means now. Yasha, now. Deliver, now. Save us, now. So if you want to follow along on the worship guide and maybe reflect on some of these notes a little bit later on throughout the course of the week, to shout Hosanna is to boldly proclaim, please save us. Please save us now. Please deliver us now. That's what they're shouting as Jesus enters. They're saying, save us, deliver us. So it's safe to say there's a praise and worship service that has broken out on the streets of Jerusalem. And they add to that, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, meaning Jesus isn't a poser. He's the real deal. He's the real deal. The mere fact that he rode into town on a donkey was not what anybody was expecting. Dare I say, that doesn't sound like a very triumphant entry. What kind of triumphant entry was the, was the crowd expecting? They were not expecting the lowly Savior to come in on a colt. They were not expecting, they were expecting someone much more militant, much more warrior type, if you will. But Jesus says, I'm lowly. I'm not only the Savior, but I'm here to save people from their brokenness and to restore the brokenness, to bring sight to the blind, to bring calm to the anxious, to lift up the downtrodden, those who society has overlooked. I am for them. And they boldly proclaim even in verse 10, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest heaven. That phrase blessed is the kingdom, the kingdom of our father David. We're blessed because of the kingdom Jesus, that you are ushering in. So what does that word kingdom mean? Just like Hosanna, we've got to understand that word kingdom. The word kingdom means Jesus's reign, that it's his reign, that he is the one who is on the throne. He is the authority over all things. And what is his authority? It's from God, but it's a message of grace, and it's a message of love. It's a message of forgiveness, not condemnation, but one of mercy, not the way of the sword, but the way of peace, so to speak. A message of compassion. 
And it certainly goes without saying, and you can follow along with me on these notes as well. It certainly goes without saying, and you see it right here in the text, that God's kingdom and my kingdom are not the same. God's kingdom and my kingdom are not the same. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about him being on the throne. If I say my kingdom, then who's on the throne? I'm on the throne if I'm talking about my kingdom. Now, I have two children, and one of the spiritual practices that we have uh, taught our children is the Lord's Prayer. And when you pray through the Lord's Prayer, you get to this point that's in Matthew chapter uh, 6, verses 9 and 10. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And so when I pray that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, see what I'm inadvertently praying is not my kingdom. So every time you recite the Lord's Prayer and you say, your kingdom come, your will be done, you are saying to God, God, it's not about me, it's all about you. I'm not on the throne, you're on the throne. You are the one who reigns. But if I'm not careful, I can very quickly navigate back to my kingdom. In one moment, I can say, Lord, I see what you're doing, and I want to be a part of your kingdom. And then I can also come over here and say, Lord, I see what you're doing, but I'm not sure that I'm ready to be a part of your kingdom. Because what you're asking me to do is challenging. You're asking me to do is tough. And how we respond is a pretty good reflection of whose kingdom we belong to. Do we belong to God's kingdom or do we belong to my kingdom? Do I look at every situation through what would God desire to do? What is God trying to teach me? Or do I look through every situation of how does this affect me? How does this inconvenience me? How is this an imposition to me? How does this frustrate or have an impact up on me? And throughout the Gospel of Mark, which is evident in all of these stories, in all of these chapters, including today, just because people were in the presence of Jesus didn't mean that they truly understood the kingdom that he was ushering in. And the same can be said for us. Just because we're in the presence of Jesus today doesn't mean that we fully grasp quite yet the kingdom that he is bringing in. I see this lived out all the time, and maybe you do as well. This isn't just a first century issue that we struggle with kingdom authority. In fact, you see it here on your notes, but you can grasp what Jesus came to do and still miss it. It's just the truth this morning. You can grasp what Jesus came to do, and you can still miss it. Now, how do we know that? Fast forward just a couple chapters to Mark chapter 15, verse 13. Mark chapter 15, verse 13, which is, again, we're going to head there in a few weeks in our Masterclass series. But in Mark chapter 15, verse 13, the crowd says, crucify him, they shouted. Crucify him, they shouted. Who is the they? They are the people of Jerusalem. They shout, crucify A few days later, the people of Jerusalem are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Isn't it interesting how the tenor of the crowd in Jerusalem changes from Hosanna to crucify very quickly? Meaning, it is not a surprise to any of us that God's kingdom and my kingdom are not the same. This is where that imposter syndrome can can start to kick in. This is where our kind of pretending tendencies, if you will, can can, can start to kind of rear their ugly head, because I get what Jesus did. I understand his teaching. I'm just not sure that I'm ready to fully be all in for it. I I, I get what Jesus is saying, and I'm excited about that, and it's really easy for me to be excited about it on Sunday when I'm here at church. But Monday morning's a different story. Wednesday morning is a little bit of a different story. It's how you and I can in one moment say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord save us, and in the next moment say, no, I'm going to save myself. 
or I'm going to continue to make life all about me. And Jesus is saying, stop pretending. Be with me. Be all in for what it is that I desire to do. So let's continue on in the text, picking back up in verse 12. So the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. And on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts. And he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, and they began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. And in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt it in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. So let's paint this picture. Jesus' disciples are walking through town, and it says that Jesus is hungry. And in a distance, he sees a fig tree with very lush leaves. But when he gets to the fig tree, he realizes that there is no figs on the tree. And so in earshot of the disciples, he curses the fig tree, and he says, no one will ever eat from this tree again. And so the story continues by Jesus going into the temple he runs the robbers who have made the temple of God a place of robbery, and so he runs them out of the temple. And then the next morning, to be precise, Jesus and his disciples, they go walking back through town, and they walk back past the fig tree that Jesus has cursed. And so the disciples say, look, Jesus, you cursed that fig tree, and guess what happened? It's dead. It has withered away to nothing. And now this is a section of Mark that you and I could kind of easily look over and we could say, hey, what's this all about? Was Jesus just averse to figs? You know, like, don't dare bring Jesus a fig Newton because, you know, he's just like, get those away from me. I hate figs. That's not at all what this is about. But rather what Jesus is doing here is he is using an illustration that the first century Jewish disciples would have understood beautifully. It's kind of like an inside joke. Inside jokes are awesome if you're on the inside. And some of you guys, you're in a setting where people tell an inside joke and you're like, I don't get it, but there's like seven people laughing because they're on the inside. You're not in the know, so you don't get the joke. And in essence, what Jesus is doing here is he's teaching the disciples something through this story that they would have fully understood. What is that story? In many Old Testament references, the Israelites were referred to as a vineyard. In many Old Testament references, the Israelites were referred to as a fig tree. So when Jesus is talking about this fig tree, what he's doing is he's talking about the Israelites. And the disciples were Jews, meaning they were, they were descendants of the Israelites, God's chosen people. I mean, look at Hosea chapter 9, verse 10. When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. But when they came to Bel Peor, they consecrated themselves to that shameful idol and became as vile as the thing they loved. 
So Jesus is saying, in earshot of the disciples, I don't want you to be like the Israelites because they were to bear the early fruit on the fig tree, but they were cursed because of their disobedience. They did not see that I was the one that God had sent to make everything good and right. He's cursing the fig tree to show the disciples, do not be like your ancestors, who I was in the midst of them, and they didn't see me, I, I, who, who, who were on the mountain with God, and they came down off the mountain from God, and in the next moment, what did they do? They built a golden calf. They saw me part the water so they could walk through on dry land, and in the same breath, they started complaining because they didn't like the food that I was giving them enough. And Jesus is trying to get the disciples to grasp this truth. Don't miss me. Don't be an imposter. Don't be a pretender. Don't be like the Israelites. Don't be like the ones who, I was there. God had made it so abundantly clear. And they were looking for hope in all the other places. So Jesus, in essence, is saying, I want you to get it. I want you to live by this truth, the truth of the power of the gospel. And so they were presented with a choice, and we're presented with a choice today. And the choice that we're presented with is, is this question that you see on your screen. Are you a faithful follower of Jesus, or are you a faithful pretender? Are you a faithful follower, or are you a faithful pretender? Because those are two different things. Now, if you want to be a faithful pretender, if you're here at our Franklin campus, if you're worshiping with us somewhere online, if whatever, wherever you might be this morning, if you want to be a faithful pretender, I'm going to tell you how to do that. If you want to be a faithful pretender, you just keep doing you. Do not change anything about your life. You just keep going on business as usual, and you'll keep up all appearances. You'll be a pretender. Now, I uh, grew up in the 80s and 90s, like many of you did. And because I grew up in the 80s and 90s, I was obsessed with a little thing called WWF wrestling. Um, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, to the point, like, we watched it every week at my house. I mean, we would do the pay-per-views, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Royal Rumble, all the things. All my friends would come over to our house. I'm also not ashamed to say I've seen it numerous times in person, you know, at the rink. Uh, you know, so it's just... It's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it, it, it's amazing. But the reality is, here's the reality. It's a show. It's a show. It's pretend fighting. Now, I am not here to dismiss the athletic ability of the ultimate warrior. I'm not here to say that Macho Man Randy Savage was not a, a, a very strong athlete. He, he was, but the reality is it's pretend fighting. There were people in the crowd who were shouting Hosanna to Jesus, and they were pretending. The fig tree, it was pretending. Its leaves were so lush, but there was no fruit. And because there was no fruit, Jesus looked at it and cursed it and said, I'm trying to teach you a lesson in the midst of that. What is that lesson? Your leaves may look really, really substantive, but there may be no fruit. You may have perfect church attendance. And you may say, I have the most stellar church attendance of anybody in Rolling Hills, but your heart could be very far from God. You may say, I know all about the kingdom of God, but yet not be a member of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is trying to get us to understand, it's not enough just to pretend to follow him, but rather I want your life to be transformed so that you would follow in love and in grace. So how about this morning we all make a commitment to say, I'm going to stop pretending. 
I'm going to stop pretending and move to being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And when I become a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, I begin to realize just the power of the gospel. Because when you move away from pretending, the power of the gospel reigns supreme in your life. And you realize that Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus did not die for you when you were in a really awesome state. He died for you in your brokenness. And he wants to have complete control of your life. And then you begin to grow. You begin to grow in discipline. You begin to grow in commitment. And you begin to be the person that God has created you to be. And that takes some discipline. That takes some effort. Most things in life that are worth doing take some discipline, don't they? I mean, most of us that have things in our life that we're really, really proud of, it's because there's discipline that we have put into those things. When's the last time that anything significant happened in your life that you didn't put some discipline and commitment behind? I, granted, I know some of you have like won a raffle before, and you're like, well, actually, I won a raffle one time, so I don't have to do much for that. But besides that, you show me something that you would consider a success in your life, and you're showing me something that you're committed to and that you're growing in discipleship to. And so Jesus wants that for us, to not just be a faithful pretender, but a faithful follower. Now, seeing that we've kind of been on this agricultural lesson already this morning, we've been talking about figs and all those things, I thought I'll kind of take it one step further. And seeing that you have been such an amazing crowd, I want to bring a gift to you guys this morning. So I don't have, I don't have flowers for everyone, but I do have some flowers for you guys as a group. Okay, so Joel's bringing out some flowers. This is just as a sign of thank you to you guys for being so awesome. And so I have brought you some flowers. Now, some of you I have brought this one too, Okay. And then there's some of you that this, this is for you. So um, I love you. Thank you for being at church today. Um, I have a question for you. Which of these bouquets looks better to you? This one? Which one would you like to receive? This one? Which of these, which of these is most alive? This one, right? Actually, that's where you're wrong. Kroger lied to you because they had both of these. Now, these were bought several days ago, and these were bought this weekend. These were both under the umbrella of live flowers. Kroger lied to you. Why? Because both of these are dead. These are really dead, but these are on their way to this. These are just pretending to be alive for a few more days. But these right here, no question asked, dead, throw these away. The reality is, when flowers get cut from the source, they cease to be live flowers. They become dead flowers. And if we're not careful, some of our lives look like this. We have it all together. We have come in this morning with a great show, a big smile. We're not being honest. We're not being authentic. And we are putting on a show, and we are pretending, saying, Jesus, Hosanna, I'm with you. I love you. And the reality is, if we're not careful, we become a pretender. Both of these are dead. This one's just fooling you for a couple more days. But I promise you, if I leave them up here on the stage, you come back next Sunday, they're all going to look terrible. Jesus says, I don't want you to pretend. In fact, though, I, I want you to, to get it. He's telling the disciples, he's using this agricultural lesson to show them what it means to truly be connected to the source. In fact, go back to verse 22. In Mark chapter 11, verse 22, have faith in God Jesus answered. This is right on the heels of him saying, 
Don't be like the fig tree. Don't be like Israel who missed it. Rather, have faith in God. And then he continues by saying, if you have faith in God, this is what's going to happen. You can go out in boldness. You can go into the world and proclaim the good news of Jesus. You can ask for anything that you want in prayer, and you come with a forgiven heart and a forgiveness of others, and not with an attitude of superiority or an attitude of life is all about me, but an attitude about pleasing God with all things, that pure heart, that clean heart. And then he says, all throughout the Gospels, then people will, you will stand in awe of what God does. And praise God, we're here some 2,000 years later because of the faith of the disciples. They, in fact, said, yes, we are going to have faith in God. And so we're commissioned to keep that story going, to keep being a faithful follower of Jesus, no matter where we may be, no matter where we may find ourselves this week, no matter what part of the world that you are in, you keep being a faithful follower of Jesus. And so then we transition to verse 27. So they arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you the authority to do this? Jesus replied, I'll ask you one question. Answer me and I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? You tell me. They discussed it among themselves and they said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you what authority I am doing these things. Now, this closing snapshot of Mark chapter 11, it shows us the group of people that always show up. We've talked about them every week. The scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the ones who are trying to catch Jesus up in a lie. They do not have the interest of everyone else at heart. And so they come to Jesus and they say, whose authority are you doing all of this under? I mean, the miracles, the running the robbers out of the temple, the uh, cursing of the fig tree, the sight to the blind, whose authority do you come under? And in classic Jesus fashion, he answers their question with a question and says, okay, what about John the Baptist? Whose authority did he come under? Did he come under God's authority or did he come under man's authority? Why is that an important question? Because if they say John the Baptist came under the authority of God In essence, what they are saying is they're looking at Jesus and they're saying, therefore, everything that John said about you is true. And what did John say about Jesus? He said, there is one coming after me. It's not me who's the Messiah. There's one coming after me. I'm preparing the way for him. And so the Pharisees say, well, we can't answer that because if we answer that, we're saying, Jesus, you're the Messiah. And so then they begin talking amongst themselves and they say, well, if we say that he's under human authority, that's also going to cause an issue. Because if we say that, that's going to cause an uprising. That's going to cause a riot here in Jerusalem because everyone believes that John came from God. And so we don't want to do that. And so the Pharisees, they're kind of in a lose-lose situation. You're always going to be in a lose-lose situation when you know the truth and you avoid the truth. Hmm. When you know the truth and you try to evade the truth, you're always going to be in a lose-lose situation. They were in a conundrum, and so they said back to Jesus, we don't know. We can't answer your question. To which Jesus amazingly replies, well, then I'm not going to answer your question either. Now, the reality is, had Jesus hidden at all whose authority he came under? No. If you've been here for any of this series, you've heard it. If this is your first time here today, you're hearing it for the first time. 
that Jesus came under the authority of God. It was not a question. There was no question that Jesus was under the authority of God. Jesus had made that abundantly clear. He wasn't hiding that from anyone. He was sharing that with the religious leaders and the Pharisees. They just didn't want to believe it. If you have children, they play this out sometimes in that you answer them and they don't like your answer, so what do they do? They go to the other parent. Or my kids are really smart. They'll reword the question to see if they can get a different response from me the next time. What's the problem with that? Well, if they go to one parent, this parent, the, the problem with that is that they're pitting mom and dad against each other, which is never healthy. But another problem that's inherent in that is they're saying, you are the authority figure in my life. You've clearly given me an answer, but I don't like your answer, so I'm going to ask again to see if I can get a different answer. And if we're not careful, that's what we do with God. And we say, God, I know what you've said. It's really abundantly clear in your word. But instead of me following it, let me ask it a different way to see if you're going to give me a different response. Now, would you say this morning that it's problematic to only believe what you want to believe about Jesus? Would you say that it's problematic to only look at the verses that make you feel good and say, that's what I want to believe about Jesus? I mean, I love all the he cares for me stuff. That's incredible, and it's true. But he also says to sell everything you have and give to the poor. That's a little bit harder. That's a little bit more complicated, so I'm not sure that I'm all in for that. Augustine says, and I quote, if you believe what you like about the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel that you believe, but yourself. And so we don't want to be disciples of ourselves. We don't want to just say, you know what, I just want to believe everything that I want to believe. And as we close today, I want to close with this point. Until you understand Jesus's authority, you will never fully trust him. Until you understand Jesus' authority, you will never fully trust him. Jesus and his kingdom, his reign, him being supreme, those are the authority. That is the authority. And what God did is God sent Jesus in love to do for me what I could never do for myself. He did not send Jesus so that I could pick and choose what part of the kingdom teaching I wanted to, to adhere to or what I was comfortable with. So my prayer for all of us this morning, self-included, is that we would trust him and that we would say, it's not enough to just live for Jesus and his kingdom on Sundays, but I want to trust him on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. I don't want this just to be a weekend faith journey. Why? Because he's good. He's worthy. He is trustworthy. And I recognize that a lot of things can be going on in your life that prevents you from being all in. There's some things that drag you down. I would be the first to say that I spent many seasons of my life checking boxes. I spent many seasons of my life kind of going through the motions. And I spent many seasons of my life kind of being a pretender. And the reality is when that's the kind of life you live, it's exhausting. It's not fruitful. It's tiring. You're just trying to keep up appearances. You're just trying to convince everybody that all is well. But Jesus has a different story and a different story he wants to write in your life, and he certainly has something more for you than that. So God's on the move. Let's reflect on that this morning. If you're tired, if you're weary, if you're exhausted, if you're joyful, wherever you might be, right here and right now, say, God, I want to stop pretending, and I want to follow you with all the days of my life, with everything in me.
and then we stand in awe of what it is that He does. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for Your presence in this place. I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the peace that we experience because of You. God, You are good, and Your love endures forever. We boldly proclaim Hosanna. We boldly say, God, we live for You and not for this world. Thank You for doing for us what we can never do for ourselves, and I pray that we would respond now with the love and the honor and the praise that you so richly deserve. It's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If this content has blessed you in some way, we hope you will share it with a friend and subscribe so you never miss a new sermon. Be sure to check out our other great podcasts like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you want to learn more about Rolling Hills, you can download our app, Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. Tune in next week for more of our series, Masterclass.